Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week our guest is Kenneth Trump, a national school security consultant who has been following Florida's school safety legislation and efforts and has some interesting thoughts about whether Florida is on the right path or the wrong path, even as it's embarked upon some of the most aggressive policies that we've seen in a long time. Let's take a listen. Okay, so Ken, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us here on the Gradebook. Glad to be with you. Now, I know that you have spent a lot of time doing school security issues in Florida and around the country. Could you just give us a little bit of your background so when I ask you the the detailed questions, people will know where you're coming from? Yep. Well, I'm actually based in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, have a lot of experience nationally in working in, with schools on school security assessments, emergency planning, professional development training, uh, expert witness work on school safety litigation, and have worked with a number of uh, school districts throughout the state of Florida over the years, ranging from Miami-Dade and Sarasota County to some work in Hillsborough and up to Marion County. And uh, we uh particularly take a look at, at uh, certainly learning from the high-profile incidents, uh, the, the Parklands, the Sandy Hooks. Uh, but I, my particular interest as well is looking at the politics and the uh, legislative end and just the organizational aspects. Uh, and, and most importantly, uh, I'm working on my doctoral dissertation um, at Johns Hopkins on superintendent and principal communications with parents uh, about school safety issues and after crisis incidents. So it's, it's fascinating and particularly looking at the, uh, responses after high profile incidents occur. Well, that's perfect because right now we're in a situation where we have a new governor who's talking about wanting to increase funding for school security based on our past law, which was adopted right after Parkland. And, and there's a lot of talk about wanting to arm employees in the schools or allowing them to choose to be armed they don't have to they don't have to volunteer but i i saw that as sheriff gualtieri who headed the public safety commission for the state came out and criticized school districts superintendents started to say hey we're not being laggards in this and and i saw a note that you sent to the pasco county superintendent which you know you praised him for speaking out and so you said that the safety legislation that florida had it was some of the, quote, most unrealistic, time-constrained, and potentially dangerous mandates I have seen from my state from states in my 30 years in the school safety field. So that's a real big one. <laughs> I was hoping maybe we could start with unrealistic. Why? Well, what concerns us is public policy uh, after a high-profile crisis can be a dangerous ground uh, to tread. Uh, knee-jerk reactions, rushed legislation, does not always good policy make. Um, people are in an emotional state. There's an enormous amount of pressure uh, on elected officials, and in many cases created by elected officials who seize upon the opportunity to uh, feel that they either need to take some action, do something, 
uh, or uh, maybe in some cases are even opportunistic on, on using that for their own political grandstanding and, and, and gain uh, to advance either specific issues uh, of interest uh, or to, uh, to position themselves in, in a public light uh, to be uh, so-called out front on school safety in the eyes of their public. And, you know, we've after Sandy Hook, uh, attack and certainly after it's only become more entrenched after Parkland. We've seen school safety politically hijacked, particularly on the gun issue, uh, gun control and gun rights. It's both sides. It's not one or the other. It's not a political statement on my part. It's an observation of the political process. Um, and, uh, each of those special interest areas have seized upon school shootings to push their respective agendas, gun control on one side. Uh, gun rights and gun uh, and expanding uh, opportunities for arming individuals, particularly in school settings on the other. And my position on that particular piece is that uh, if you want an armed presence on campus, you, you hire a trained commission professional uh, police officer. And the legislation that came out of following Parkland was extremely fast. Uh, there's a context, not only in Florida, but elsewhere around the country of do something, do anything, do it fast and do it differently, as I call it. Uh, and that doesn't always lead to good policy. And in particular, on the uh, school resource officer or armed guardian uh, component of the Florida legislation, I, it was particularly unrealistic to expect that you're going to be able to get uh, such a dramatic increase in many counties or many cities uh, of police officers, because that that takes time. Even if you have the funding, you have to do the staffing, the training, the long-term commitment to, to that, and then balance that out with how it impacts your local policing in the broader community as far as staff allocations. And, and it looks, you know, in looking at that legislation and how the funding was set up, that say yes, you can you can hire school resource officers, train police officers, but we're also going to put a huge chunk of funding that's only for the armed guardians and can only be used for that, even after uh, superintendents, school boards, and even I believe the former governor had requested that the legislature shift some of that money from the guardians that was unused over to the police officer side, which is what school local school communities wanted. Uh, it sort of reeks of a little bit of political opportunism and an agenda that goes beyond best practices in well, terms me, of how that was designed. Let, let me ask you this then. I, is there a better way to do it? Because, I mean, school district people know how to run a school district, but doesn't law enforcement know better how to run law enforcement? <laughs> school well, safety? Well, I, I think that, that that's a fair point. And, and first of all, it was the legislators who, who created that structure in terms of funding. So that was that's one piece of it. And they're certainly not experts in school safety by any means. Uh, and uh, and we can debate other aspects of education. But legislators generally, I have no expertise in school safety uh, whatsoever. And, and on the law enforcement end, you know, I, I come from law enforcement family. I, I created and supervised the youth gang unit in Cleveland City School System in my earlier career. I am pro-law enforcement and pro-SROs. But uh, that does not, law enforcement experience alone does not automatically transfer into school policing and school security expertise because we know that doing uh, security and emergency planning and prevention activities 
in a school setting is a unique uh, role, even for law enforcement. There's a difference between doing law enforcement uh, and making a traffic stop in the back alley uh, of a uh, of a local community at midnight on a, on a suspicious car versus patrolling the hallways of schools. And we've had that discussion nationally uh, over the last five to 10 years on what's the role of a school police officer, a school resource officer, or SROs, what specialized training do they need, and how is that different? And now all of a sudden, we're going to talk about uh, uh, someone's opinion that they believe that uh, and that there needs to just arm uh, anyone and 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 who wants to be armed in the school. And there's a difference, and um, and it's not a gun control statement. I personally support concealed carry uh, laws and rights. Uh, but there's a difference between saying you can protect yourself and your family in your home and tasking uh, the school custodian or a teacher or a layperson uh, who wants to be a quote unquote guardian uh, in a school uh, with basically a few days or a few weeks of training to say that uh, you can shoot, uh, clean and holster the gun, uh, go get them and, and you're going to work around children and in a school. We Law enforcement trains their entire career, as do military and others, with uh, hundreds of hours of, of training. Uh, with years and years of experience in making those split second decisions. And you're going to say, well, if we train somebody for a few weeks on how to handle the gun, that qualifies. And I think there's some, there's some concerns there because it's the mindset, the training, the decision making, that day to day mindset that a law enforcement officer has. Plus the majority of police officers that work in a school in this country as school resource officers or school based police departments will never pull a firearm and never have uh, a situation to uh, where they encounter a use of deadly force. So is that so where have, is that where you come in and say that potentially dangerous mandates is that one of those? Yeah, that that's one of those and I think that the time frame that they had in the legislation also is is suspect in that the schools just had uh, a short number of months to do uh, first of all to do security assessments of their schools. Uh, and assessments is more than physical security and hardware. Uh, and, but yet they rushed it through where schools only had a couple of months by the beginning of school year in August, uh, to not only complete those assessments, but to have that staffing in place. And anyone with any knowledge of the devils of the details of implementation knows that it's going to take longer to get a good solid, uh, staffing and program and assessment done of your schools. Uh, and, and to do that in a short period of time, just rush the whole process. And I think maybe even by design, force some schools to do certain models of staffing like Guardian that they otherwise would not have rushed to do. So I, I think that that's where it becomes dangerous. And I think that, that you know, there's some good things that came out of the, the Parkland uh, Commission. Uh, one of the biggest observations we have is, quite frankly, that they, they there weren't a lot of things that were new. Uh, if you go back to the Sandy Hook and then the Columbine attacks, which as of April will be 20 years ago, m- most of the best practices from uh, Columbine nearly 20 years ago still apply today and were even reflected in the Parkland Commission report. Uh, and and uh, we also kind of scratch our heads. Some of the language that's being used, uh, if anyone really go, went back in the history of best practices in school safety, such as the cop topic of code reds. Well, post-Columbine and post-9-11, the best practices was actually established not to even use code phrases, but to use plain language. And yet we still see even the commission talking about 
<clears throat> code reds, and then uh, when that's not even a phrase that's encouraged to be used when talking about lockdowns by professionals who know better. The other uh, piece is the idea of hard corners, <clears throat> for example. It hasn't been called that, but it's no breaking news or no big con- new concept to tell children and staff that when you do a basic fundamental lockdown, you get students and staff away from windows and doors and into areas where they're not in direct line of sight. That's not radically new. It has a new name that they threw on it uh, there. But it's this idea that this is something out, out of the blue that that came from law enforcement is this, you know, cure-all type fix, the new phrase, really isn't as well. So my point is I applaud them for the effort. I applaud law enforcement to step up. There's also a lot of political pressure on sheriffs and chiefs to now to do something and appear that they're stepping up and that they're taking over where they where the perception is schools don't know what they're doing or they're not in charge. And that's not always the case. So, so yeah, why, why is that then? Forgotten. Why is that then? We have the situation where you're talking about things that are 20 years old and recommendations, and yet people are saying that it seems like school districts and schools aren't prepared, didn't do the right things, and should be doing better. And we're coming out with these commissions saying, do what they told you to do 20 years ago. Well, exactly. And the, and the interesting part, number one, is they're not even, I don't even think the commissions recognize this in a lot of cases. Not just, not Parkland, but just after every one of these high-profile incidents. And when you get to the, the core roots of recommendations of different task forces and commissions, they really go back to what was best practices 20 years ago. And there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, we have a whole new generation of superintendents, school boards, school resource officers, the law enforcement officials and students who weren't around 20 years ago after Columbine and didn't live through that and don't remember or never been exposed or trained on those best practices. So they don't know what they don't know. And it's frustrating because there's a lot of information out there on best practices. There's, there's a lot of research and practical experience. I'm a practical person uh, as well as looking at research. But the, not, the point is the knowledge is out there. For some, whatever reasons, they're not receiving the training. They don't know what they don't know. And there's this also context of urgency after uh, a high-profile incident because you're operating in a context of high ambiguity and uncertainty. Parents are anxious. They're worried. Is this going to happen in my school? So there's a political context to this where we have to do something, do anything, do, uh, do it fast and do something new. Uh, and, and that creates a climate where we want to produce new reports and, re- excuse me, produce reports and recommendations that appear to be new when they're not. And we're not taking the time to go back and look in, in the history of the last two decades to see what do we already learn and why do we need to reinvent the wheel as if it's something new. Let me ask you this then, uh, are we overreacting in some way? Is it something that we shouldn't be doing because perhaps um, we're spending a lot of money on fear as opposed to just looking and seeing what we need to be doing practically? Well, they're, they're one of the emerging trends post-Parkland, and it really started after Sandy Hook, but it really escalated after Parkland, is uh, you also have a great deal of organized lobbying by the security hardware and product industry actually to change state laws and, and regulations on construction and school design to require new physical security measures. And, and let me just say, you know, the physical security plays a role in a comprehensive approach to school safety. 
But I do expert witness work on, on act, school active shooters, on rape, sexual assault, uh, abductions from, from schools of, of children, on, on assaults, gang-related incidents. And while the facts and merits of every case vary, the common thread is that they typically involve, right or wrong, allegations of failures of people, policies, procedures, and systems not allegations of failures of hardware and products. So while the technology and equipment plays a role, in the background now, post-Parkland, we have the security hardware and industry, uh, product industry that can profit uh, and is profiting immensely out of all, all this hardware and physical security measures, biting at the bit to, uh, to make sure that those, there are new mandates and funding sources to advance their interests. Uh, you have the political context. So there are a lot of things that come into play that shift the focus, redirect the conversation. And for what I'm hearing from superintendents and principals that we work with on the front lines is that they don't know who to listen to. They don't know what to believe. They, they're getting an enormous amount of pressure from parents. They're having trouble not necessarily managing best practices, but managing perceptions and politics around this. And those are the dynamics that I think are setting us back and detracting and distracting from educators' uh, ability to look back and say, what works? What do we need to do? And what are those things that may not give the perception of a quick fix that we can point to to parents and the media today and tomorrow to say, see, we're doing something. But many of the best uh, practices are often in, less visible or invisible and, and, and present a challenge in calming anxiety that's due to uncertainty and ambiguity. So then the legislature is going to be meeting in a couple of months. They're already in committees. What should they be th looking at when they say they want to tweak this legislation, they want to make it better? What would be like three things that they should do or at least consider doing to make it better? Yeah, the first thing that the legislators need to do is to listen to uh, those on the front lines, our superintendents, uh, our educators, our uh, school-based police and security professionals who know what the best practices are and know what works. Those who are in the school system, in the school districts dealing with this. Number two is they, they also need to, to research and go back and look at best practices. What's the research say? What does experience say? What did we learn after Columbine? What is the common thread through all of these commissions, one after another after another? Because I can tell you that when you get down into the weeds of these commission reports and task forces over the years, they all pretty much come down to some core similar recommendations. It's not like there's a lot of radically new stuff aside from some of the political agendas and, and gun issues and maybe one little item that somebody hooks onto like so-called hard corners uh, to, to kind of just keep pushing on. There's not a whole lot new. And I think that if we look at the best practices and, and then and number three, give the, the, the schools the tools to implement the best practices. Don't put unrealistic mandates. Don't put create mandates for the sake of doing something that, that has poor implementation uh, issues attached to it. Find out what works, number one, from those on the front line, superintendents, boards, uh, principals, teachers, those school-based policing and security professionals. Number two, find out what the research experience and all the recommendations, common threads are from all the different task forces. And number three, give them the tools to implement 
what works uh, rather than focus on political agendas and flashy things that they can point to that makes it appear they're doing something. Well, this is really helpful. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I hope that people are listening and, and that this conversation takes a new turn. And we'll talk again after the legislative session and maybe do a post, post-op assessment. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's important that people stay on top of this and that the education community be part of that process. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate, visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To keep up with the latest in Florida education news, go to our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. Please continue to follow this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe if you'd like. We'd love to hear from you your ideas if you'd like to have some sort of issue covered that we can talk about or somebody who you'd like to hear from specifically. Let us know. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 